Welcome back to another episode of the Coys Are Us podcast. Episode 55. I'm Joel. I've got Kim and Ben with me. Kim's in New York and Ben is in Chicago. I'm here in D.C. And Spurs just came off a, another win. A 7 out of 9. Winning at home against Fulham 2-0. Um... So we're just going to keep rolling right along, I guess. We're just going to just keep just keep having games and just not losing any of them and Sonny's just going to keep scoring and Sound like Jesse. What is this? I'm just I don't I don't know like what to what do you what do you make of this? It's it's cuz yesterday also we're recording this on on Tuesday. Uh the game was yesterday and so it did feel watching the game that it was very like routine like it was like just kind of like yeah we're just gonna go we're just gonna play inch ball we're gonna do our thing gonna get the goals like it, the game never really felt too worrisome and i guess i was a little worried at the game ended i'm like i don't really know what i'm gonna talk about today because <laughs> there wasn't too many storylines with the game it just it just felt like it was kind of in hand am i am i reading that right or what, what was your take uh coming out of that game uh ben I mean, I think we can figure out something to talk about, but <laughs> I, I agree that it was kind of the most cruise control game we've had to the point where the second half was almost a little lackadaisical. You could see uh, Pasta Cagli was not a fan of that, both in his reactions, uh, you know, live on the on the uh, sideline and then with his comments after the game. But yeah, I mean, this was very much, I'm trying to like, I, I can't think of exactly which era of Spurs that we would equate it to, but I guess it would be like the mid-level poach era where you have these games where, um, you know, you just jump out on the attack in the first half and then, again, potentially maybe even get a little laid back too much because the second half almost reminded me more of the uh, the Conte or Mourinho days. Mm. Uh, and you could see Postacago, again, was not happy about that, uh, which I'm all for, you know, I think – you saw at the end of the at the end of the match there were there I mean we're saying that it was a you know one of the more laid back events but if Fulham had put away one of those chances it would have changed the complexion very quickly in terms of putting uh, you know making Spurs fans anxious. Um, but yeah, no, I mean we we were just in control and it was funny because they didn't press us at all. I've never seen Romero and I, I don't know. I can't even think of a, 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 a back, uh, you know, line Spurs defense that had that much time for a while where they were just like looking around. It almost felt like the Simpsons gag where they're like passing it back and forth to each other while looking up. Um, Fulham was just sitting back, daring us to try to beat them. And the funny thing is that in the end, both of our goals were basically off of like counter presses, right? Like where we turn yeah. it over and then turn them back over really quickly and just, there were there were so many good moves. Um, yeah, we can, yeah. we can get into the yeah, yeah, so. um, yeah. Because we'll we'll definitely get to Richarlison. I want to have Kim jump in a bit here. And yep. what was your, I guess, takeaway from the game? And and don't get me wrong, I'm not like, it's not like I'm sitting there bored. Like, oh, we won again. Like, obviously, I'm <laughs> I'm excited about it. It's it's good to see, and it feels like there's no real weak spots in the starting eleven right now, which is also nice. It's it's not. 
oh, this player is doing this, and why is he still playing, and I wish we need to replace him, and we can't play this. Like, a lot of the things that we've been doing in the last few years, I feel like the starting 11s just kind of settled, and they're just kind of going about their business. So what was your takeaway from uh, from the Fulham match? Uh, my takeaway is that we're a good team. <laughs> that really was my takeaway. Um, There were moments, um, like in the first half, I just felt like Fulham could not handle us. Like, we we kind of was able we were able to do whatever we wanted we didn't quite have the the score line to I think reflect just how dominant I felt we were and it felt like once we got past their midfield and, and it like it like Fulham had like a specific tactic it looked like like don't press their defenders don't don't press their center backs you know squeeze the play in the middle allow some stuff on the outside but like don't let them cut through us in the middle and so you just saw a lot of the stuff that did end up going well was when the midfielders got the ball in the midfield, they'd like kick it out to Kulisevsky or they'd kick it out to Rosharlison on the wings. And then we'd get some joy through that. Um, there wasn't like a ton going like straight down the middle of their midfield. And I think that was their tactic. You saw in the second half, it looked like, um, and I noticed like when I rewatched the game in the second half, they did press um, Romero and Van de Ven to start the second half, which is why it felt like Fulham had a little bit of a foothold in the, in the start of the second half. Um, to me, it looked like that was their, that, that seemed to be when they were their most threatening in terms of their own possession um, because they tried to turn the ball over in their own attacking half. And I felt like they felt like it was the onus on them to do it. And it seemed like the moment that they pressed up was the same moment that we were able to then counter press them to then get our own goal. So it's like, our work in the first half allowed, I think, even our second goal, um, second half goal to happen. So I just feel like in general, we we show like an an initiative to take the to take the game to the other team. Um, it seems like the whole team understands what that looks like. And even Hoiberg stepping in, I, I felt like he made a bunch of good passes. Like he was the one that stepped in. Um on a defensive end to get the yep. ball for the second yep. goal and then got that first, you know, first pass too. Yeah. First time pass to Richarlison. Like, you know, he moved the ball much faster than I think I've ever seen Hoiberg move the ball in a match. Like it just felt like the moment he got it, he was trying to figure out where to move it. Even if that was to move it backwards, it was purposeful and it happened quickly. And I'm, I was just happy to see that because you, you think about what does the, the team look like past the starting 11. I, think he's you know 12 in that in that number where I trust him to play when he plays if he's playing with the rest of the starting 11 if he's the one guy that steps in I kind of feel like it's you know he's gonna he he does it differently than Basuma does Basuma does more carrying of the ball but he moved the ball with his passing in a way that I think was just very fruitful do you think that uh, Hoybier is, to me, I just seen him play under, um, you know, Conte, and he played he played under Mourinho for a year, right? It was one year under yeah. Mourinho and then two under Conte or a year and a half. Uh, and then seeing him with this Danish team, maybe he's just like a super co- coachable player. He just like really follows instruction, and he actually is more versatile than what we've seen. But he, uh, again, for the past three years, basically, we've been stuck with like super negative coaches and – he exemplified that ideology because of how much he just does what he's told. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of 
reports that came out during that time under both Mourinho and Conte was that he was a bit of a teacher's pet. Um, he was obviously the most played player over the past, what, two years. He was getting more minutes than anybody else on our team. He seemed to be the most undroppable outside of Harry. Um, He's like a player coach almost. Yeah, and I think that kind of speaks to your point of just like he's going to do what he's told, and coaches typically love those types of players. <laughs> um, Especially think, authoritarian ones, right? Yeah, of course. Um, I think in this system – there was some questions about how he was going to fit in because he was such a teacher's pet under more defensive coaches. I think there was an assumption by many of the fan base that that was kind of all he could do. Um, how is he going to be able to play on this attacking team when, you know, he's basically been this holding midfielder for this defense, for these defensive systems. Uh, and I think, yeah, you know, yesterday he showed a little bit of his versatility. He was, he did a lot of good things out there, and at no point did you feel like, oh, the midfield is really missing something right now with Hoybier in. And I think that was probably some of the concern going into the game that didn't end up actually realizing itself, which is a good thing. Um, and I think that that also will help us feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, that said, I don't know how much more comfortable, right? Like <laughs> Hoybier is probably on the top of the list in terms of, non-starters that you trust starting right like there's i don't know how many more hoy beers we have on our bench um but we you, you all mentioned the wing and obviously that's kind of the most just settled position oh yeah go ahead sorry just on the hoy beer thing because uh one thing i was wondering while watching is like that has to be a perfect matchup for him too we were talking about how they weren't pressing and he could drop deep and then madison was dropping deep to provide an outlet right. for him yeah he looked really good, creative going forward, and he really dropped deep defensively going back. So, I mean, he was all over the place, but we didn't get to see how press resistant he is. Like, that was the one thing that Basuma has in my mind that that is what makes him so hard to replace. And I don't know if we saw if Poivier could do that. We didn't see that he couldn't, but we, there was very little press. So, that's like the, the big question mark still for me for uh, with right. Poivier playing the six. Opposed to two weeks from now when we play Chelsea, that's right. a team that is going to definitely press. And so that's a game that obviously you want Basuma to be playing in. Um, and that's, you know, a big question mark that I think some people are speculating of whether or not he's going to play against Palace on Friday, because if he picks up a yellow, he'd be suspended for Chelsea. I don't see personally, I don't see Ange holding a player out of fear that he's going to pick up a yellow. Like I, I think he's going to chuck him back in the starting lineup on Friday. Um, I think so. But it is something that I've heard a, a few different people bring up. So I think that it is a concern, um, especially at the clip that he's been picking up yellows. It's uh, it's safe to assume that he's going to get another one sooner or later. If not yeah. Friday, then probably he's going to get one <laughs> against Chelsea. So Against Chelsea. Well, yeah. Real quick, before we leave this topic, the, the last thing I just want to ask is uh, with Bencourt, We've talked about before, like, where does he fit? Does yeah. he play a six or does he, is he going to replace Sar in that like eight, 10 type role? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because now, right now, we've basically been starting Basuma, Sar, Matters. Um, you've got Hoybier as an option off the bench. You've got Gio now, he's back from injury. He came in and, and had some spot minutes yesterday. And then you also saw Ali Skip come in off the bench in midfield. 
And now you're adding Benton Kerr, who's supposed to probably be back healthy by the end of the month, maybe early November. So midfield probably has more options than really anywhere else. The question now is, you know, at moments of the season last year, arguably your best player is now coming back from injury. Number one, how much do you want to play him? Because he is coming back from a very lengthy injury. Um, is he ready to be chucked back into the starting lineup anyway? We we don't really know the answer to that. But assuming that he is, is there any player that you are ready to take out of this lineup to put someone back in, especially when that midfield really has been working? Like, Kim, do you think it's worth tinkering? Obviously, we know that Benton Kerr on his day is a better player than what we've seen from Saar. But Saar in that midfield has been working out that he's he's done a good job um a lot of that probably has to do with him playing with basuma and madison but would it would it be worth chucking him back in the lineup straight away or kind of maybe having him ingratiate himself off the bench no i feel like it's best to just bring him off the bench um unless there's an injury to someone else or unless someone starts to not perform i don't think you make a change uh, for now, I just I just think you you know keep the status quo. They're all playing well, uh, so it's Wait, not but, like you're real gonna quick. Win. Sorry, but do you mean just in the midfield or for the whole team? Just curious. I would say just for the. I mean, honestly, probably just for the midfield. I feel like the forwards um, feel like that. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I asked that. We can get to that later. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah, so I, I would say probably just for the midfield, but I, yeah, I just feel like you let him get his feet wet with some minutes off the bench. Maybe you sub someone out, um, do that for a, few, a couple matches, and, you know, he has to get, like, match fitness. Like, he's going to have to build up his match fitness. He's not just going to go straight from ACL injury to some training with the first team to starting 90 minutes so um you know let him play 30 minutes and see how the Neil feels like I just think that's the kind of it's like it's good that we don't have to chuck him in right away um because he I think he will need the time to just build back up to what it's like to play in the Premier League so real quick though again just I'm curious about because I've been thinking about this all day for the last few days is where does he fit best positionally when he does come back I mean, I think you play him in that sorrow. That's what I would think, too. I would think he'd be like the sorrow and then potentially a backup to the six along with yeah. Olivier. Or, yeah, that's what I would think. But because nobody's taking minutes away from Madison right now, obviously. And I don't think Benton Kerr is that kind of player anyway. He's not that kind of little magician. But yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think Basuma has that. He has that Musa Dembele skill of being able to like guard the ball, hold it up, not lose possession, but then also defensively he can pick guys off and kind of regain possession when we do lose it. I think Benziker has a lot of those skills as well. Basuma's just better at it than he is, right? So, like, I I, I think if he were healthy, maybe he's starting against Fulham. Maybe he still play Hoybier anyway, but I could very easily see him in that role, especially a match here, a few minutes here or there. I don't think he'd be starting as a six through and through, but I think you could definitely play him in that role and it wouldn't necessarily be like out of his depths. 
Um, you guys both mentioned our forwards um, and our wing plays specifically, and I think that's probably the one part of our team that doesn't feel like, yes, this is the starter. Um, our back four is complete settled. Our goalie is definitely settled. He was amazing again with a great save against Fulham. Sonny is flying, and we just talked about the midfield. And so I think the only questions are really those those wing roles, which right now have been Kulisevsky and Richarlison uh, for the past few matches. We've also seen Manor Solomon start. We've seen Brennan Johnson start. Um, and Manor's now hurt. Brennan just came back from injury. He got some minutes yesterday. We've had a lot of conversation on this podcast about Richarlison, so I think that's probably the best place to start. Um, obviously he's had trouble in front of goal, um, really has not really been shooting the ball on target. It seems that he really only scores with his head. <laughs> um, every time he shoots the ball with his feet, it's like not even close or he's getting himself in good positions and then putting the ball wide, but he got another assist. Um, and he's had a few of those on that wing position. I thought he actually had a pretty good match yesterday. Um, outside of like expecting him to score the ball. And I think playing him on the wing allows him to play football without the pressure of feeling like he needs to score. Is he just maybe just better suited as a winger? Like a, that's obviously not what we signed him to do. It does feel like in the short term that's that's working. Um, and like I said, I, I thought he had a pretty good match yesterday. Yeah, and I would say Richarlison mostly as a player in the Premier League has mostly played on the wing. If you took his minutes, most of them would probably be on the left wing. He had right, that he was one playing season. With Lewin, yeah, right, so. so he's like he was never really the lone up front striker when he was at Everton. Um, so yeah, I think he just he just seems to look better there. Um, for the long run, I'm not sure if that's the kind of um, left winger that Ange wants, but for now, it's it's where he is performing. Like you say, he's what does he got like six goal involvements or four goal involvements in the last six games, so he's really doing something like that. It's yeah, because he, more he than has I a thought. few assists. <laughs> that might be his third assist, or his, and he has. I think he had a goal, and like yeah, he had a, yeah, he had a goal. goal. He had a goal against Sheffield. So and he's, a goal and he's actually, and I what I think is the system is making sure that um, he's in the positions to to do these things. So you know, last year if he was playing this left wing, he'd probably have zero goal involvements because we weren't in our, you know, goal box enough for him to make these things happen. But I think us having the ball as much as we do just gives everyone a chance to, you know, put themselves on the score sheet. Um, Kulisevsky should have scored a goal today, but, you know, was allergic to shooting, it seemed like. That was my one yeah. critique about this game was how allergic we were to actually trying to put the ball on frame. It was a lot of overpassing. And it's like you have the I I can see the goal for you. Just shoot it here. Yeah, there was there was definitely some hesitation, and then, and one of the weird things for me is actually what you were kind of just alluding to is just like the way that people perceive Richie now versus uh, Kulisevsky. Um, they're almost like they're very different, but their production has been kind of similar. Like I was frustrated with with, with Charleston at the beginning of the game. Cause again, he skied a shot, a couple shots. And then he had that one that was just wide of the goal. 
but he had some really, really nice passes and he presses and he's got the energy. Kulseski is he presses and he obviously has the energy. He's like the only forward that never gets subbed right now. Um, he he gets into really good positions, he makes good passes, but he's he's been um like gun shy, I guess. And I find it weird the perception of people with Richarlison versus Kulisevsky. And I wonder if it's like literally just down to like Kulisevsky had that super hot, hot start when he first came that first half season when he came in January, whereas Richarlison and, 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 and Kulisevsky was like out of nowhere, January signing to help us get top four. And Richarlison was supposed to be, if not the heir apparent to Kane, he was supposed to be the next forward or one of those uh, to, to, you know, have a big goal scoring impact. I think that it is, a, it helps with Charleston in a massive way to play him on the left. Cause I don't think there's as much pressure on him to just be a goal scorer. Cause I don't know about you guys, but based on the evidence we've seen from him over the last year, plus Richarlison doesn't seem like a, a, like a pure goal scorer. Like he is probably going to underperform his expected goals. Most of the time, most yeah. seasons, you know, and Whereas, his hold up plays poor as well. Right, he's uh, not a center forward. Like he's he's a forward, but not a yeah. He's not a striker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the difference thinking about even the way that they create for each, for other players, it does feel like Richarlison is someone who can kind of like come onto the ball in the flow of play, play it within the box as other players are running towards it, and kind of like uh, create offense within itself. Play, yeah, Kulisevsky could get the ball on the wing survey and then kind of create for others on his own. Um, whereas like, I don't think of Richie as a winger who's going to like hold the ball on the left side and then pick a pass. Like that's not really how he gets his assist. It's more so in the flow of an offense that he's running into versus like being the starting link that's creating for others as kind of like a, like a 10 would typically. Um, I think, Kulisevsky has a little bit more of that 10 capability in him. And I think we saw that a lot, especially in that, that hot form that he had um, a couple seasons ago that you were talking about. I don't think Richie is someone that anyone even really thought about as like a big assist man coming into this season. Um, so for him to have three already after nine matches is probably more than we would have assumed. And it's you could probably hear the surprise in my voice when Kim said it uh, to begin with, because <laughs> I, I knew that he had two. I didn't realize that it was three. Um, so, yeah, like I, I. I like to see it, and I think that also speaks a lot to like what Angie's system has has created. Um, there's more opportunity for guys to get assists without feeling the pressure to have to like create the play themselves because everyone is involved in the offense in a more fluid way. So it could be Madison, but it could be Richie. It could be Udogi. It could be coming from a, a number of different places. It could be Hoybier coming in off the bench for Basuma. Um, and so, like, you never really know where the goals are coming from. And I think that the goals, for the most part, have come from a lot of the same guys. But but you have to pretty much guard everybody because you never know who's going to be able to pick that pass. And everybody's switching positions so often right um, the assists and the double assists have been coming from all over the place right exactly especially the double or tri like the hockey assists those have been spread out and that's i think the main re like obviously most of the last passes and goals are going to come from the same you know three people basically and you want midfielders to chip in but 
as far as, I mean, Romero made a crazy good pass uh, against Fulham. I'm trying to remember who was on the, I think it was Kulsevsky that was a recipient of that and, and didn't pull the trigger. But Romero was just kind of like meandering up the field and then just casually put a through ball in that broke the lines and put Kulsevsky in on goal. And then again, we were talking about him being a little gun shy, which I wonder, like, does that, does that feel like a, just a mental block or is that him trying to be ultra patient? I, I wonder if that's like a coaching thing or if that's a Kulisewski thing on that one. Cause he seemed really gun shy. I don't think it's coaching. <laughs> Cause I think. Yeah. Cause Richarlis is not following that coaching. That's for sure. No, no, he's definitely letting <laughs> it fly. I mean, I also think the coach wants players to shoot the ball. Um, and so when he talks about us losing the ball too easily or overpassing um, after the match in some of his critiques, that to me is an indication that, yeah, he actually probably does want um, Kulisevsky to let it fly there. I don't know what's going on. Um, maybe, you know, with with attacking players, I think a lot of times form builds confidence and then confidence also creates form. It's kind of like they are play off of each other. He hasn't scored a ton this season. I think he's only has one goal um, that he scored away from home. Well, same last season. I, have so, I mean, this too. Well, in any event, just, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of our goals are coming from Sun and Madison, and I do wonder if maybe he just feels like he needs to defer, um, opposed to when he was scoring a lot, he was shooting more because maybe he felt like that was more of his responsibility. Either way, I'm hoping that that's something that he gets rid of because, you know, to your point, if everybody's going to find themselves in positions to score, then everyone needs to be comfortable shooting. Um, Poro's letting it fly when he when he gets the chance, you know. Um, Richie's letting it fly, and so we need everybody really in that front six <laughs> or seven to really be able to. Uh, yeah, your dog is, when can, they need can to. be a little bit uh, trigger. Uh, you know, he he can be a little hesitant too. Yeah, uh, there was a couple. Yeah. Of, yeah, I think he's going to end up scoring. He he had he had a chance in the box yesterday that he uh, passed up that I would have liked to see him just take a shot at it um, he seemed almost surprised to find himself in that position with the ball you know where he's just like uh you know got but a this little, is uh, the kind of stuff that i like to see because like you can see where we can improve like yeah. you see the things that we can do that we can do better it's not like this is a finished product obviously we're still unbeaten and we still picking up points but there's still stuff for Ange to work on in training there's still stuff for him to you know, nag them about to to keep, you know, the that kind of stuff going. So um yeah, it's all it all feels very, very positive. Like the the mood around the club feels positive. The players all feel positive. Ange obviously is very positive. So I mean I just want hope this stuff just, you know, just continues. Just keep just keep it going. Right. Yeah. When Ange is angry now, it's not like when Conte and Mourinho are angry and throwing people under the bus. He's angry because they're sitting back he's angry because they're showboating rather than playing consistent football like i mean you saw how he, he seemed to be about richarlison when he was trying to like bring that ball down on his shoulder or whatever that was when he lost possession mm -hmm. and you saw uh you know towards the end of the game where he was just not happy with how wasteful we were being in possession like that's the kind of anger i want to see from my coach not anger at capitulation because you haven't you know coached your players or uh boosted your players enough so that they're maintaining possession and trying to actually create stuff themselves and are just sitting back 
Like it's again, it's a vibes thing and uh, everything seems pretty positive um, that our most negative is we weren't being positive enough, basically. We talk about the vibes, we talk about Big Ange and he has 23 points on his first nine matches in the Premier League, which is a new record for a coach that's new to the league. No one has, has gotten as many points out of their first nine matches. Uh, so we're now really at like the quarter mark of the season. And things are going really well, like w- <laughs> way better than anybody expected. I think even obviously outside of Spurs, the journalists are talking about how nobody saw this coming. But I think even within Spurs, none of us saw it coming either. We were all kind of expecting and bracing ourselves for a bit of a rough start. And said as much himself. Like, hey, you know, it takes some time for guys to get into my system. I just want them to be playing the right way. And he's kept a pretty even head about all of this. Like, yeah, you know, the results are nice, but I still feel like there's things for us to work on. And I think he's... You do remember, sorry, but you do remember when we were, like, talking about how how low can it get before you're anti-Ange, before the season even started, where it's like (laughs) bottom half, like in relegation. Yeah, that's exactly. It's like, how yeah, how how many games are we going to let this guy lose before we all turn on him? Um, And I think now he's bought himself so much goodwill that even when we do lose a match, um, I think like people are going to make a lot of excuses for him. Even if we drop a few in a row, I mean, I think at a certain point, yeah, people would start to get upset because football fans have short memories. But right now, it just feels like he has so much goodwill um, that he can do no wrong. And on the one hand, we're undefeated after nine matches. There's nothing bad you can say about that. On the other hand, there are a lot of tough matches left to come. We've gotten one of our big ones out the way, which is Arsenal away. Um, But we still have to play City twice. We still have to go to Anfield. We still have to play Newcastle twice. Like, there's there's a lot of tough matches coming up that we haven't had to deal with yet. And if and when we do drop points, um, even if we continue to play the way that we do, it does not feel like this is a coach that's going to encourage us to do anything different, whether we win, lose or draw. And so what do you think, where do you think this goes? Uh, Because obviously I, you know, I'll speak for myself. Like, I don't, I don't think we're going to finish the season undefeated. Um, When, the losses come, so negative, you know, Joel. like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so negative. Um, just, yeah, I guess I'm just wondering, like, are we creating unrealistic expectations at this point? Because it thinks I've gone like so much better than anybody would have expected. I don't know. Um, I feel like, I feel well, like, let, let, me, let, me, is... let me phrase it even a different <laughs> way. I guess more specifically, what I'm asking is like, how do we properly create expectations for this team? I think like it, it seems like we've had such a dream start that I don't even really know like what it means almost. I I guess the way I've been looking at it is like, do we just, do we really need to do that? Can we, can we just like actually just stay here and enjoy what it's like to win games and not stress ourselves about like, there's still 30, what was that game number nine? So there's our 29 games left. Like, there's still so much that could happen right now. I'm just happy that, you know, we seem to win our games at home. We pick up some points on the road and it's, it's fine. Like, I feel like the, the more you start to worry about what does this mean for expectations? Like the way I look at it is this could all fall apart in like 
10 days if two people get hurt. So like right now, just enjoy my team being mostly healthy. They're playing good football. And let's just see what the next game brings. Like that's that's going to be my mentality for a very long time, I feel like, because you start to get ahead of yourself. And us as Spurs fans have spent a lot of time getting ahead, our, ahead of ourselves and then getting disappointed. So like I'm going to try a different tack this year. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I would say this is a, a great example of uh, enjoy the journey without waiting, <laughs> worrying about the destination. And I think that that's probably a good thing in life in general. But uh, if you want to be a happy football fan and not just worry about winning championships, and then that's all you look back on, again, like enjoy what we're doing right now. Obviously it would be great to win a title. It would be great to win whatever different cups, but I'm pretty sure that I enjoy the week to week much more without feeling like I'm looking forward to either inevitable failure or there's only a binary. If you win, it's great. If you don't, it's it's done. Right. Like this is what we talked about before, but like just enjoying watching the games and now enjoying seeing the progression of the team, bringing in young players, bringing in new signings, bringing in new ethos, a new um, style of play, everything. It, it's so much more enjoyable to, to go through. I just don't want to really focus on the, uh, you know, are we title champ or title contenders? Cause it's way too early to tell. Like we have, if, if you want to just get to, to, to be uh, logical about it, like, we're thin. Like we have a great starting 11. Hopefully, uh, you know, Benton core will come back and beef out our midfield. Hopefully Brian Hill will come in and be another magic plus the Coglu, uh, you know, um, improvement, but like just enjoy the, as it happens rather than worrying about what it means in the long run, I guess. And I know maybe that's too philosophical or too whatever to, uh, uh spursy of a uh of a, of a point of view but just like in, you know enjoy what we're doing because this is what to me it's all about is like having fun and like watching your team develop into something yeah i i definitely am with you guys on that i feel like coming into the season my expectations were so low that it was kind of just like you know i just want to see what this looks like and hopefully it's fun and if we pick up a few wins, that'll be cool. If we lose, as long as we're playing fun, I'm not really going to care. And I think I'm still in that space now. I think the difference is because we haven't lost the league game, I'm now going into these games kind of like expecting us to do a job versus like, oh, if we lose, it's fine. Like if we lost yesterday, I probably would have been a little bit more pissed than I would have than I would have been in August, right? If we'd have lost against Brentford. Like, I'd have been like, oh, all right, whatever, that's fine. Um, but now it's like there seems to be a little bit more of an expectation because I'm starting to G myself up into thinking, like, we're actually a good team. <laughs> and even Based Kim was saying it, even Kim was saying good, it, like, hey, this is what I'm taking team, away from the full. Good teams lose, though. Like, well, you yeah, know, yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> Well, I'm based it's not going to be the end of the world, but yeah, I mean, well, you're going to be upset in the moment. You're going to think you should, you know, you always think you should win at this point, but. Hey, well, we this lose, is, we lose. this goes back to the old, like two things can be true at the same time. Like you yeah. can enjoy the uh, journey, 
but that doesn't mean you're not eyeing some kind of destination and that you're not thinking that you uh, like going into games thinking we should be winning this. And obviously, even if we play well and we lose, that sucks a lot more than playing well and winning. I guess, yeah, no, I, because I, I was going to say, would you rather play, this is the, the old thing, is that, would you rather play well and lose or play poorly and win? Short term, you'd rather play poorly and win, but long term, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm cornering myself with that question because I don't even know the answer to it, but you, you get my meaning. Yeah, I mean, I, I and, and by no means am I like trying to create a problem when there is none because I think obviously these are like good issues to even have in the first place. I'm with you. I'm hyped though too. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm, like I'm it's also obviously like, I'm I'm yeah. still going into the games excited to watch them. I still feel like I'm gonna see some entertaining football. I feel like we're getting a Vicario highlight at least once a game. Uh, Vandeven and Romero that first been outstanding. Save, uh, that first half save was uh was fire. Like yeah, like we're getting like entertaining football. Like it, regardless of what you think about during uh before the match or after the match or whatever banter you're having online throughout the week. Once the game starts, like you're enjoying watching it, and that's really what it comes down to. I think the biggest difference for me. Well, obviously, I didn't expect us to have 23 points, but I've always felt like, you know, the standings don't really matter until maybe around New Year's where you're like, you kind of get an understanding by January of like, okay, this is kind of where teams are. We're still not there yet. There's still a lot more matches to be played, especially after the festive fixtures in, in, in December. I think that's kind of where you can start to figure out like, okay, this is around... This is about how good every team is. Yeah, wait, w- weren't we like first under Mourinho in like no like November, December, two or three years ago? Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, I agree. It, it, I would wait, say wait. even March. With that said, I mean, well, by March, then you know who's actually in the title race. But I think by January, you kind of have an idea of like, these teams are good, these teams are elite, these teams are bad, so on and so forth. Um, I don't think we're at that point in the season yet. Um we don't really know what we're going to see out of Chelsea. We don't really know what Arsenal is going to do. We don't really like, there's a, still a lot of question marks around the league. I think we're one of them. I think because we've played so well and because we're top of the league and all this stuff, like I, I wouldn't even be thinking about how many points of a lead we had on anybody. If it weren't for the fact that we're in first place right now, like it it's, it's created a sense of us looking at the table way more than I would think. We even should be, but it's only because we're at the top of it, right? Like it's if we were in sixth right now, I probably wouldn't even be able to tell you what team was above us because I wouldn't even be looking at it. But I can tell you <laughs> who's below us right now uh, because we're in first. Everybody. I think it, you know, well, yeah, right. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I think it just it just creates um, it creates not so much pressure for the team because I think um, I think that. Pasakaglu is going to keep them grounded, um, but I think for us as fans, it it's there's a there is a point, and I don't think we're there yet. But there is a point in the season where the I'm just having fun is going to turn into expectations, um, and like like you guys said, I don't think we're there yet. Not in a um, realistic perspective. Maybe some people are already there. Uh, they probably shouldn't be, but you know, long may it continue and and. As as long as our guys are healthy, there's no reason to believe that we're not going to keep playing the football that we've been playing to this point. So, this is the Cosaris Podcast, which is a Tottenham Hotspur podcast with 
for Americans who like talking about Spurs, as you could probably tell by our accents, uh, we can be found on social media, on both Twitter, which I guess they're calling X now. We're still going to call it Twitter. Um, <laughs> Twitter and, and Instagram at Us Podcast. Um, looking ahead to our schedule, and obviously, like, the naysayers will say they've had a weak bit of it. They've played all three of the promoted teams. Um, they've only played a couple big sides. They got a few more big matches to come. All of that is true. Uh, I was listening to something earlier this week that said, like, out of everyone in the league, we've had the second weakest uh, schedule if, to start the season. So, you know, you could only beat who's in front of you. I'm not taking anything away from our record. Uh, but that is to say that there are a few more tests to come. Looking ahead of our at our schedule, on Friday, we've got Crystal Palace away at Sellers Park, followed by a 10-day break because we're out of the Carabao Cup. <laughs> um, and then we'll play Chelsea on another Monday night um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, followed by Wolves away the following Saturday. Uh, so that's the next three matches before, believe it or not, another international break. It's getting ridiculous. I don't even want to get into it because I'm going to go on a rant. But um, <laughs> we just had a break. Now we got four matches and then another break in November. So if I think it's the lack of European football. It makes it even more like every two games, really? Every two, three games? Well, yeah. I mean, even if we did have European football, like they're playing Champions League matches this week. Uh, next week is uh, Carabao. So then I think they'd probably play again the week after that. We definitely have more games on our schedule, um, but it's still only three Premier League, four Premier League matches if you count the Fulham one. Um, so this is a few more interesting tests. Crystal Palace away is going to be, you know, interesting. Right now they're 11th. They're not playing the best football, um, but Selhurst Park could be tough. It's a, another London derby. Um, and then Chelsea is obviously going to be the return of Pochettino. That's going to be a very emotionally charged game back at the Spurs stadium, followed by Wolves away, which is another like tricky game. I feel like the past few years, I don't think we've done the double over Wolves. I can't think of any seasons that we've beaten them twice. It feels like they always pick up some points against us. And um, Curse of Nuno. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. Um, and then our first few games after the break are going to be Villa, City, West Ham, and Newcastle. So the schedule's going to get tougher. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're getting a few big boys just back-to-back. You know, Unai Emery followed by Pep. Um, West Ham's in, in pretty good form right now. And then Newcastle after that. So, you know, we're, we're going to see some interesting tests. It's going to be interesting. Right now, the next game as we look ahead is Crystal Palace who, again, as I said, is currently 11th in the table. Um, has anybody watched much Palace this year or any anything to take away from them? I know that they've had some injuries. Um, Zaha obviously left. He's now um, with uh, Galatasaray. And then they also had um, one of their main players recently just got hurt. I, I'm forgetting the name. Eze? Yes, Abrigi Eze, exactly. Um, so Edward has been kind of their their go to guy this season, um, which has had they, they, they have Roy Hodgson again. <laughs> that guy's yeah, like, I, uh, how he, many jobs does he have? He's he's never going away. He always yeah. seems to come back around. Um, is there an equivalent of that in American sports? I'm trying to think, like Dusty Baker, maybe. <laughs> <Or> like... <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout. 
um it was it was larry brown for a while he, he yeah always, larry brown yeah he always seemed to be popping around um but he finally after after he uh buried the knicks that was kind of the end of larry brown anyway, house away so, yeah. <laughs> uh what, what 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 do we figure for this game kim maybe we'll start with you i am gonna go three now um oh wow i kind of feel like without um as a without Elise, like I just don't look at Palace's midfield and think that they can like hold a candle to us, honestly. So I think that's where I feel like, you know, things will break down for them. Um yeah. And they really have not scored. I think they've scored like six or seven goals in like nine matches. So they don't really score a lot either. So um yeah, I'm gonna go through now. They do not score a lot, and I'm looking at their recent run of matches. In their last five matches, they've scored one goal. Um, so they've been shut out against Fulham United. They beat United 1-0. Then they got shut out again by Forrest, and then Newcastle just beat them 4-0. So they are having a hard time scoring goals. Um, so I guess that is pretty much a fair shout. Yeah, I feel like the three might be pushing it. Like 2-0 is, to me, the safe bet. But three is like, okay, I'm trying it. We are keeping clean sheets lately, which is not what we expected either. But it does feel like Romero and Van de Ven's speed has kind of cleaned up. And obviously, if you get a huge highlight from your goalie every game, that's also going to allow you to keep more clean sheets than you would otherwise. I don't really know what to make of this match. This is probably a little un unrealistic or maybe um, uncalled for, but... Something about this game worries me more than the Chelsea game. Like I, I feel like we're gonna be able to handle Chelsea, especially at home. Um, Crystal Palace is a worse team, but you never know with these away matches, especially in these derbies. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think we'll win, but I, I do feel like it might be, it might not be as smooth sails as, as we might assume. I can see this being. Uh, kind of a, a muck it up type of game. I'm gonna go one nil. Yeah, I think Damn, we'll, man, I could have sworn you're gonna say six one Spurs. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually like I don't know what to expect from this game. I know that they're not scoring a lot of goals, but um, I don't know. Something tells me that this this might be a bit of a trap game. I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna say one nil. I think if we can win without scoring a lot of goals, that that might actually be really good for us in the long run. Um, especially away from home. And then as long as we get the three points, we'll we'll be going into the Chelsea game with a lot of confidence. And like I said, there's a 10-day gap between the Palace game and the Chelsea games. So that also gives guys a chance to rest up. And maybe we see Benton Curry against Chelsea. That would be nice. Yeah, that would. Uh, I'm also not going to go with 6-1. But uh, I was tempted with uh, 3-0. I was actually thinking the same exact thing. I was like, 3-1, 3-0, 2-0. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 2-0 Spurs, obviously. I'm not picking Palace to beat us 2 nothing. All right, so we got a 1-0, a 2-0, and a 3-0. So, um, Palace, we don't think you'll hopefully score. We get a clean so sheet. Hopefully, hopefully, we're proven right in that end. And then after that, you know, we'll have a nice long break. The nice thing about this, and you know, I'm I'm doing the thing that I said I shouldn't do, but I'm gonna do it anyway, with us being <laughs> top of the table. 
we played after everyone and then we play before everyone for for match week 10 so we get three points and we'll be five points clear which is you know there are worse things um and it's always nice when you get the points early you know we play on a friday and then you could just watch the weekend's games and not have to worry about it because you know, it's always it's always nice when you play early and you win. Then you know, there's no there's no pressure as you're watching the rest of the games because you're like, ah, oh, our game's out of the way. I'm chilling. Uh, we can just enjoy the the Manchester Derby this weekend with no worries. So there you go. And if you play oh, early and you lose, you just ignore the rest of the weekend. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, exactly. You just watch the rest. Well, of the that's game not going to happen. Everyone else loses too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's there's never not going to be a weekend where I'm not hoping for Arsenal to lose, regardless of our results. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, you that's, just root for losses. That's, that's, you don't care about wins. You don't care no. about anything except for losses. Really. No, you just want the you just want the big boys to lose. Uh any final thoughts before we wrap up or anything else that I missed? Just one last thing about Vandeven. That man is fast. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just quick. I feel like every time I see him, I'm like I, I just feel like I have to remark about it every time. And he gives I, Romero I, so much I, license I, to jump out. It's crazy. Because I'm just like, you know, you, you see the the attacker going for the ball and you just see Van de Ven just right past them, like, and gets it instead. I'm just that like, would be like How seeing a center, yeah, a center in basketball just charging down a point guard and blocking him from behind or something. Just oh, well, this big we, dude. We, we might be seeing that some of the, some of that this year with uh Wembenyama because that guy <laughs> looks like a an alien. Can we call? <laughs> but, him yeah. The, uh, wait, 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 where's he from? France. Can we can we call him the French uh, Vanderven? Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> the French Vanderven. I like that. Yeah. I don't know how many NBA fans would understand the reference, but I'll 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 do it I anyway. Don't think many. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I I liked. Romero a lot against Fulham. I actually thought he was my man in the match. Seemed like he was everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, when you have majority of your team bombing forward the way that our team is encouraged to do, especially with Udogi and Poro kind of doing that inverted wingback thing and creating opportunities, you need to be able to trust that your center backs are going to be able to recover on your behalf uh, in order to give you the license to go forward. and. Right. The way that those guys are just cleaning things up back there, um, not only the their partnership, but I think the, the partnership that they've built with Vicario as well has been just really paramount to everything that we're trying to do right now. So it's been great to watch. And yeah. Long may it continue, like I said. Yeah, come on, you Spurs. All right, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.